HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a nonprofit with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Change menus, change lives. Learn more at chefscollaborative.org. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold-out food events across the country to offering scholarships to high school students, is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member now. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We are coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, July 19th, 2017. This is the 148th episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is the co-founder and CEO of a comprehensive platform for hospitality operators, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip. And then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to pay it forward. Pass along goodwill. When someone does good for you, whether it's a simple act of kindness, job lead, or referral, don't just say thank you, but let it motivate you to do right for someone else. We can make the world a better place by treating others how we like to be treated. So instead of giving back, pay it forward, as kindness is contagious. That's my tip today. Now, I'm very happy to have my guest here in the studio. It is Joel Montaniel, the CEO and co-founder of Seven Rooms, a reservation, seating, and guest management platform. 
Prior to founding Seven Rooms in 2011, Joel served as the chief of staff at Live Person, leading strategic, operational, and cultural initiatives. He started his career at Credit Suisse within the real, real estate, finance, and securitization group after graduating with a BA from Georgetown University. Welcome, Joel. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, happy to have you here. Um, you know, I'm not, I was, you know, I'm not familiar with live person and I know your background is, I don't believe you, you started in the hospitality industry. So I'd love to know how you, how you got into it and what you're doing before, before seven rooms. Sure. So really started, so I moved to New York in 2006 and I started in the finance industry. Okay. And in that world and in that time period, uh, I was working a ton of hours and, and this is when a time when we were working hundred plus hour weeks. And so we were making pretty good money for, well, we were making more than we should have gotten paid for the age that we were. And <laughs> good for you. we hated our lives. <laughs> oh, not, so not good for you. <laughs> one of the things you tried to justify it with was, well, you know, at least during my time off, I can go enjoy myself. And one of the things I really loved to do was going out to restaurants and going out to nightclubs. And that's, this is the time when I was 21. And so uh, I really started in the hospitality world really as more of a customer of the places we work with today and really started from a point of view of I don't have the time uh, to become a regular of these places and I would love to go to them, uh, but I don't know if I'm going to have my Friday or Saturday open until literally 8 o'clock. And the places I want to go to, good luck getting in. They're completely booked and you have to know them and you have, it takes time to really build those relationships. Mm -hmm. So it started with a kind of personal question of uh, how could we make life easier for myself to go to these types of places and build those relationships. And then it quickly evolved into uh, understanding what kind of technology the restaurants and nightclubs are using to understand their customers. And so we started thinking about the problem from a, a different point of view. But really, to answer your question, it was starting from a, I'm a consumer of these places. Why is the service really good sometimes? Why is it so hard to build the relationships? Why do I have to go 25 times in order to become known here? Um, shouldn't it be a little bit easier for everyone? Right. So I'm just curious. So in, in Manhattan, what were these what were the, the clubs or the places that you, you like to frequent? Yeah, so maybe put it better, um, the places that we could actually get into, because <laughs> <laughs> in 2006, 2007, uh, money was falling out of the sky. People were spending lots of money on corporate cards. And I remember a world where, you know, and this wasn't me by any means, but uh, people would walk up to these nightclubs and say they want to spend $20,000 and would get turned away uh, by the door people. And so, uh, you know, that was really shocking to me. Because, you know, these are businesses ultimately and, you know, customer and they're, they're offering a luxury service. And if you think about it from the point of view of a hotel, so if you walked up to the Four Seasons or the Mandarin and they gave you really bad service at the door, you'd never go back and you tell all your friends. So for me, it was kind of interesting that you had this luxury experience where people were spending $10,000, $20,000 in four hours and yet the service was actually completely opposite of what you would expect. So uh, we tried to frequent a lot of clubs, but me rolling up with eight of my guy, guy friends... Guy friends, different being a guy than a girl, yeah, wasn't right? yeah. on their agenda. So 
so yeah, but it was an entry point to get to know some of the, the club owners, and it really was the, some of the genesis of the business. Right. So, so you had this idea to, uh, well, you had idea, you know, to to figure out how to get into clubs, to figure out how to help with with them, um, with their service. What did you start on the side? Like, did you were you still in finance, and then you started like after your crazy amount of hours you were putting in, then put in more hours to try to create a, a platform? And yeah, ab- absolutely. We've <laughs> okay. had a so you know we've had a really interesting evolution and I'll tell you more about it Uh, because now today we work with restaurants and nightclubs uh, but back in the day we started off with trying to build a consumer app Uh uh, for consumers to actually be able to book reservations at nightclubs and it was considered the open table for nightlife Uh, we launched it through Urban Daddy actually in 2009 what was it called it's called Nightloop okay and it was a miserable flop (laughs) and we spent two years working on the side Yeah. yeah yeah and it was really disheartening and so uh, we actually spent a lot of time with the clubs. And one thing that we realized was we weren't solving a problem for them at the time. The problem was they didn't have, it wasn't that they didn't have enough customers or it wasn't that they were worried about that part. Uh, what we realized is the tools that they had to understand their customers, the data that they had on their customers was sorely lacking. And in order to actually create a consumer experience, we had to solve creating a better system for them to understand their own business first and create that foundation. So what ended up happening is 20, 2009, massive flop. Uh, over the next couple of years, we ended up spending a lot of time with these nightclubs to really learn their business because that was one of the things where we failed. We didn't understand the operator side. Right. We were just approaching everything from the consumer side. So there were a couple nightclubs that were uh, we were fortunate enough that they took us in into their homes and let us work alongside them. Literally, we still had full-time jobs, but we were working till 5 a.m. Uh, we were working in the back office. I remember getting yelled at by several door people because here I am, this Asian guy uh, that you know that doesn't look like the typical club person. And they're like, "Oh, you're you're screwing up my image. Go back inside and do whatever." And so, you know, we we spent a lot of time just hanging around. And the ones that let us hang around, we learned enough to understand actually where there were opportunities uh, to build technology to help them and to move them from a piece of paper where they're literally making decisions about how to service customers with just a name, right? And so uh, we learned enough spending time with those owners and in those places to understand what kind of system uh, we wanted to build for them. So that was really the genesis as we went back to the drawing board, spent a lot of time nights and weekends working on the side and coming up with a product that would actually be built just for operators and not worried about what a consumer experience would be in terms of booking or not having the consumer be our primary customer. Yeah, well, that makes sense. But I'm just curious with with it, the why, like why, I mean, you sort of explain why it was a flop, but I would think like there has been the success of Open Table and that you can make reservations at restaurants. So on the consumer side, like why... Why, like, why didn't it work for a consumer to make book a reservation mm-hmm. at a hot club? There were two things that the club was concerned about. So the first thing was the air of exclusivity. And by putting reservations openly online, it, it dilutes that air of exclusivity. Okay. Right. So they yeah. were a little bit hesitant to do it. So they said, OK, if I'm going to do this, then I'm going to I'm going to upcharge and price higher 
to accommodate for giving up that area of exclusivity and for taking in someone that we've never done business before, a new client. And so what ended up happening is the pricing that they listed on our site was 50% higher than what you could have gotten if you called into, uh, into the club directly or if you knew someone that could get you in. So the consumer value prop, even though it was more convenient, mm-hmm. from a pricing perspective, it wasn't. It was way higher than what they would have paid. So, okay, it, that makes sense. Yeah, it ended up ultimately not solving consumer pain point. And then because we, as you would imagine, we didn't send any business because none of the consumers wanted to book because of the pricing. It didn't end up being valuable enough for the club to continue using it. Got it. So, so this brought you to to launch. This is seven rooms. So, where did the name come from? So. When we restarted the business, we knew that we could go into nightclubs, but we also saw the opportunity to start working with restaurants. And more importantly, it was this concept of, you know, we saw technology really as something that was transactional, that didn't have a face. You know, most of the technology that was built was really get to as many people as possible. Uh, Even what they call CRM or customer relationship management technology uh, was more business focused. And we said, well, we believe we're building technology for businesses to understand their people. And the way you understand the relationships between people is not how you understand relationships between businesses, right? Like if you think about a business and a lead funnel and the sales cycle, it's not how you think about your relationship with your friend or your family member. Uh, And we said, we want to be the first technology that actually uh, tries to embrace the relationship between a business and a person, aka their customer, uh, and really tries to use technology to personalize that relationship. So what's a name that we could come up with that would actually capture the essence of the relationships businesses have with people and who you are and who you know? So we, for a couple of months, we came up with really corny names on a whiteboard, and one of our co-founders uh, basically vetoed all of them. And then we stumbled across this theory called the Seven Rooms Theory, uh, and it's by Graydon Carter, who's a Vanity Fair editor. He owns some restaurants mm-hmm. here in the city. And the theory says that in New York, there are seven interconnected rooms, each one more exclusive than the one before it. So just when you think you're at the top spot or the best place, there's always another room that you don't have access to or you haven't discovered yet. And so for us, that really hit at how businesses know their customers, how the people have different relationships. And it doesn't mean there's a top place. It doesn't mean there's, uh, that everyone has the place the same room is the same best place for everyone. It's really uh, the place that makes you feel the most comfortable. And that, that's really when we think about hospitality, uh, you end up going to those places more often because of how they know you and because of the relationship they have. So that's really how we came to it. And it's, you know, it keeps playing out uh, to this day. Yeah, that's that's great. That's a great story. Do you, do you work with him now? I'm just curious. No. So. I mean, he's more a restaurateur than... Right. Yeah, totally. So uh, we don't work with him, at least directly. We do work with some of um, some of the places that he's affiliated with. Okay, cool. So so who was who was a first client? So so we have uh, really two or three different customer segments. So we started off in nightlife and then in 2014, uh, we ended up partnering with, or 2013, a very major credit card company here in the city uh, with a very substantial dining program. And they said to us, you know, we have all these restaurants around the world where we're holding, uh, they're holding tables for our card members, and we don't have a good way to book it because the technology, you can't privately hold tables online, so we have to book it through the phone. Uh, and what we said to them is, oh, we can solve that for you. 
uh, we can do the same thing we did in nightlife already with you, uh, where these nightclubs. So we ended up solving the nightclub problem, by the way, by privately pushing tables to corporations, concierge, etc. So that we could take the, take the same model and do it in restaurants. Um, and so as part of that program, uh, one of the very first restaurants we talked to was Alain de Casas' group uh, in France. Yeah. And so, you know, he's considered the godfather of restaurants and he's considered, uh, he's made the careers of lots of famous chefs. And in 2014, we were doing this program with a credit card company and his team says to us, you know, you're one of the few technology companies that's come into our office with a completely different approach, asking us how technology can be helpful for us, giving us control over the customer experience, helping us build the relationship with the customer. We've never seen this before. Uh, what other technology do you have besides what you're doing with the credit card company? We showed them the nightlife system that you know was the market leader and still is. And they said, have you considered bringing your reservation seating guest management solution into restaurants? Because the amount of data, the way you've thought about everything, the system you're showing us, this is exactly what we would, we've asked for and we would want built for us, uh, but just no one's ever done it. Why? We don't know, but you should consider doing it. So the very first restaurant customer we got on was actually Benoit here in New York City to use our full platform. And as, as crazy as it sounds, uh, the pilot customer was a customer from one of the top restaurant groups in the world. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed uh, that. Yeah, Alain Ducasse. Or, uh, that's, that's cool, though. That's a good uh, first restaurant. Um, and on that note, let's take a little break and come back. I want to hear more about how, how the technology works with, with um, your clients. So this is all in the Industry and Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back. This program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a national nonprofit network with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Chefs Collaborative members work to make sustainable practices second nature for every chef in the United States. Chefs Collaborative was founded in 1993 by visionary chefs, including Rick Bayless and Alice Waters, who acknowledged the influential role of food professionals on our food choices, our collective personal health, the vitality of cultures, and the integrity of the global environment. Chefs Collaborative believes that the greater culinary community can be a catalyst for positive change by expanding the market for good food and helping to preserve local farming and fishing communities change menus, change lives. Learn more about Chefs Collaborative at chefscollaborative.org. Hi, I'm Linda Liu, host of Feast Meets West on Heritage Radio Network. Feast Meets West traces the stories of your favorite Asian foods, from their origins to what they mean in today's food culture. Tune in on Wednesdays, 8 p.m. to hear my co-host Iris and I interview chefs, restaurateurs, and other food experts about Asian cuisine. Support my show and all of Heritage Radio Network's programming. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to become a member today. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. 
I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Joel Montaniel, the CEO and co-founder of Seven Rooms, which is a reservation seating and guest management platform. So let's talk more about this platform. Like, how does it work? Because so I downloaded the app. I didn't get very far, though, <laughs> because the app is really meant for your clients. Like there isn't an am I right? There isn't an app for consumers. That's right. OK, so I looked at it. It looked it looks nice on my phone, but I think I'm probably going to have to delete it. No offense. <laughs> no problem. No problem. It's so how does if I'm a right client there. and I get yeah. a login, like what is what's it going to do for me? Yeah. So, you know, when when we started thinking about the restaurant space after talking to Alonda Casas group and other operators, uh, we looked at what was currently in the market in terms of technology. And we really wanted to understand when when th- their team said to us, we don't have this. We wish we had it. You're the first company. Show. So we said, well, what is this and what do they have? And what really, truly is great about the systems they have today? And what truly are the gaps? Because uh, we've seen actually a lot of companies come into the dining space uh, with significant backing with networks that you would think would work. And they didn't ultimately, uh, they weren't successful. So what we said to ourselves was, well, if we're going to build something, uh, let's make sure that it's unique and let's make sure it has capabilities that would really be useful. So starting from the point of it's all about customer data because the more guest data or customer data we can track and provide to the operator, the better the experience they can make for the guest and the better they can remarket to get that guest to come back. And actually, it turns out that that was the, the big gaping hole in all of the existing technology that was in the market was they didn't focus on customer data. And we scratched our heads because we said, well, this is the hospitality industry, right? It, the more you can know about your customer, the more special you can make them feel. And if that customer data is not in their system, then how are they doing it so consistently? And they're relying a ton on their people uh, to do it. But you, this is the hospitality industry. It has one of the highest turnover rates in, in any industry. So your customer data is walking in and out of the door. Um, not that that's you know, negative of the industry. It's just a fact. And so we said, okay, the core of everything we do will be the customer profile and guest data. So let's start there. Right? But now let's go under the assumption that the restaurant tour and the team is really busy and they're not going to run five different systems. We know that. Uh, and no offense, but we're coming from the nightlife world, no offense to them, but they might be some of the laziest users we've ever seen. <laughs> so you know, we started from a point of view of building technology of how do you get people to use a system that have no incentive or don't have to change because they're making money hand over fist. So for restaurants, we knew that it had to be one system. We knew that the core of everything should be guest data. And so what we did is we built all the operational things that they were doing around the guest profile. So I'll give you an example. So when a guest calls in, the ability to surface that profile, but also with much richer data. So one thing that Seven Rooms does that's really unique is we have a 360-degree view of every single guest. And if a restaurant has more properties than one, we naturally connect that guest profile across all those properties. Believe it or not, other systems don't do that. Right. We also tap into the point of sale. So at every single uh, at every single location and with every single guest, that restaurant knows exactly what that guest is ordering down to the appetizer, down to the bottle of wine. And so even if the guest is walking in for the very first time to a brand new property or to property that's been around 10 years, and even if it's someone's first day working the host stand or someone's first day being a manager, they can relate and experience and treat that guest 
like they've been there for years and like they've known them for years. Uh, so whether it's reservation booking, whether it's uh, when they walk up and on the host end pulling up the guest reservation, it's not about whether the guest has a reservation. That's easy. A piece of paper can tell you that. It's about who is this guest that's standing in front of me? What's my relationship? And so we really infused the guest data and the guest profile and made it accessible and available to the team at every single touch point. Yeah, well, it's it reminds me, I feel restaurants like 11 Madison Park or you hear like the top the top, top places have always talked about how I think, you know, the, you, they take notes they know about their customers and their customers are coming in. Um, they, 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 they give them surprises or, you know, they know they know what they're allergic to. So this seems like like the, that same that same ideas where you're you're having you're collecting all this data and you're knowing about the customers. But it's cool that it's, it goes across all all their restaurants. So, so if I went to a, a Landucas, a restaurant of his in Paris, having been to one in New York, they would know who I was walking in. That's um, exactly right. But is, is there any bit, I hate to say it, but like creepy about, I feel like, I feel like sometimes like not creepy, but like sometimes people don't realize how much people, restaurants or businesses know about them, you know? <laughs> yeah. So we think a lot about that question. And, and so one, there's a couple of different ways to think about it, at least how we think about it today. So number one, I think in the hospitality industry, it's one of the last few areas of life really where uh, people want to get a more personalized experience. And, and in fact, I believe the industry is the best in the world at, at not being creepy. I yeah. actually think really, um, you know, I don't think I've had a creepy experience in a restaurant and I think the more the restaurant can get to know me and understand the little quirks that I like or the things that I care about, it actually makes me feel really good. And, and we, we tailor a lot of what the hotel world has done to what the restaurant world should be doing. So, you know, I've seen hotels do a roll call and they'll be like, okay, this family came here two years ago. Their son was 10. Uh, he's now 12. He's on the basketball team. He used to like cookies with milk. You know, so it's those little touches and those are the reasons why people come back to a hotel and those are the reasons why we believe they'll come back to a restaurant. So um, the idea is empower an industry that wants to use the data the right way. Mm-hmm. It's trained their staff to do it. The guests in that environment, maybe not in other places, but in the restaurant environment really craves that experience. And I think 10 years from now, five years from now, that's the reason, one of the main reasons why people are going to go to restaurants is for the service and the way that you're made to feel, not necessarily only for the food. Uh, and then the other thing uh, to think about is the patterns of consumers are obviously shifting. You know, I think there's an older generation that really values their privacy, and we value everyone's privacy too. I value my own. But if you think about the millennial generation that's coming up, their default setting is share. <laughs> Everything about their life is share. Right, yeah, and the, all the data shows you they're willing to share more if it's some if there's something they're going to get in return, and so what we've thought there's been an opportunity. What we do through our platform is actually enable a way for the guest to share more information proactively with the restaurant uh, through the reservation confirmation. You could add allergies, you could add preferences, um, so you can help build your own profile, and we surface that data so that the restaurant can actually see it and act on it. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Just, just as to for to clarify for me, as far as being a reservation platform, and because the, the consumer, we consumers don't make the reservations. Like you're still work, you're working with like an open table or however a reserve. Like you're not replacing that. 
your your partner. I mean, it's what you answer. You you got my question. Yeah. So (laughs) one of the one of the things that we we saw when we were looking at the restaurant space uh, is open table is this really big, powerful uh, booking kind of uh, gravity center of gravity, Mm -hmm. and that's a good thing in some cases. And uh, we said rather than trying to take that away. Right, which a lot of other companies have tried to do entering the space. We're like, why would we swim upstream when we can swim downstream? Why would we try to change consumer behavior when that is already happening there? Right. So how we came across, though, was there's also everyone's discovering food on the Internet outside of open table, outside of some specific channel. So, you know, just to give you some stats, you know, Yelp, there's over 100 million people. It's eight, eight out of 10 of their users are going to find restaurant-related content. Snapchat, 80% of snaps are happening in restaurants. Instagram, 400 million posts about with the hashtag food. Um, you know, Google, two of the top 20 search terms are restaurant-related. Uh, you know, TripAdvisor, 490 million unique visitors, a lot looking for restaurants. So we said, you know, why don't, why don't we do a play that's similar to what's happened already in the hotel and airline space where... Consumers are booking any, everywhere and anywhere, right? Let's mm-hmm. meet the consumer wherever it's most convenient. So rather than trying to create our own consumer booking channel and own audience, let's tap into all the amazing big audiences that are out there already, and let's give the restaurant more control over them. So a restaurant can actually take bookings across all those different marketing channels. We, we pull in, we integrate, we power some of them from their own website. It's a seven rooms widget. Uh, that we power. So, but what we did is we put the restaurant front and center. So rather than our brand, so if you go to Cosme, for instance, here in the city, it's the Seven Rooms widget, but you see our logo down at the very bottom. There's no login through the Seven Rooms login. What we're trying to do is help capture information for the restaurant and build a direct relationship between the guests and the restaurant, uh, which hasn't been done before. And we think, if you think about really, you know, what a restaurateur wants or what a hospitality operator wants, um, they want to build a relationship with the guests. They want to know more about the guests, and why should uh, why should we get in the way of that? So we really think about how can technology bring the guest and the operator closer together. Um, yeah, it's awesome. I think it's brilliant. I'm happy. I'm, I'm, I mean, I think I think you've you know I'm impressed that that you've you've figured this out and um, have have been successful and keep growing. Well, I want to know one on my own question, how, how, how big is your company now? But let me tie that into my question for my last guest. I had on Kat Kinsman on episode 147. Uh, she is the senior food and drinks editor at Extra Crispy. And she also has a new book out, High Anxiety, Life with a Bad Case of Nerves. And she's the founder of Chefs with Issues website. So she wants to know, what's the thing you look for in a potential employee that technology can never replace? Like, what's the human factor? So tied in with how many employees do you have and what, do you, what are you looking for? Sure. So the factor that I look for personally is empathy. Okay, that's a good one. And so, you know, the ability to understand uh, what someone else is going through and connect with that. I think the hospitality industry is a lot about that. And so thinking about our customers and who our team is going to be working with, uh, you know, the, the industry get, you know, people that are working in restaurants, it's a tough job. Uh, my sister and brother-in-law are cooks. So I understand, you know, I see what they go through. It's long hours. Uh, people in front of house are getting yelled at all the time. And so, you know, I want our team to be able to feel that and to understand that. And to, we, we have this saying, like, treat them like family, uh, really, truly. 
And, you know, by, by doing that, that makes them feel good. And really pretend like we're the restaurant, pretend that there are guests walking in. Uh, we need to do whatever we can do. And so I think someone that's empathetic uh, operates that way by default. And so that's a, it's a quality that I try to look for, understand uh, wherever I can. And then yeah, from a company great. perspective, we're 30 people. Uh, so we're about to start growing the team significantly more from here. Uh, but right now we're 30 people. All based in, in New York? All based in New York. Oh, that's still pretty good size. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so we're going to take another break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to play my speed round game and talk some industry news. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. This is Only Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Joe Montan- Montaniel. Getting it, right? Montaniel. Got it. Yep. Got it. Okay. And it is time for my speed round game. So what this is, is I'm going to name a couple of things, and you are going to pick your preference. It's like an either-or situation. Hmm. So are you ready? I think so. <laughs> you're going you're to be great. Here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat in. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Can I choose something other than what's on the... Yes, you may. <laughs> uh, I'm wondering what it is. Scotch on the rocks. Well, that counts as a cocktail, doesn't it? I think so. Scotch on the rocks. It's a simple cocktail. Yeah. Okay, cocktail. <laughs> I don't know. Add in straight up. <laughs> Do for straight up or mixed. Okay. How about tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. A la carte, but tasting menu style. So I'm known for actually over-ordering at every place I go to. So I basically create my own tasting menu, but I do it a la carte. That's, that's a first. I love this game because out of all these shows I've done, that's the first time someone said that. That's great. Um, okay. How about uh, small plates or large plates? Mm. Small plates because you can try more. Yeah, with your with your... Your our a la carte tasting menu. <laughs> mm-hmm. How about a communal table or chef's counter? Communal table. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Just to see how you feel about this. Uh, open table, resi, reserve, or talk? Depends on, it depends <laughs> on the type of restaurant. So... Um, you know, I think all of them are good. I won't pick one. Okay. I, I actually do think all of them are good. Yeah. No, that's fair. Bottle service or no bottle service? No bottle service. Okay. 
figured back in your clubbing days. I don't know what you preferred on that. I'm allergic to it now. Okay. (laughs) Two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate. Manhattan or Brooklyn? Manhattan. Awesome. That's the game. So you're good at it. That's (laughs) fun. It's fun. Yeah, I like hearing people's answers and and the ones they get stuck on or or don't. (laughs) Um, So industry news... Uh, there were two articles I saw on the same sort of same topic. Uh, one was Grub Street. The title, Amazon is already selling its meal kits by Clint Rainey. And then Market Watch had an article, investors, investors' worst fears about Blue Apron may be coming true as Amazon moves to meal kits. And that was by Caitlin Huston. So I j- talked a couple weeks ago on my show how the merger with Amazon and Whole Foods, but... Um, I don't know. Blue Apron has, you know, been doing these meal kits and I, I feel, you know, Amazon is uh, now starting to do them. And I, there's a lot of concern with what's going to happen to Blue Apron. And I don't know. I'm feeling like the underdog is it's, you know, I always root for the underdog, but it seems uh, I don't know. As someone who's done a startup, ooh, lights flashing here at Heritage. Um, what do you, I mean? How do you what's your take on this? It's a scary time for any business that Amazon chooses to compete against, and I say the word choose purposefully because I really think they can get into almost any industry, any segment uh, overnight, pretty much. So, you know, I think it's, it's, a, it's not a, it's, so it's obviously if you're Blue Apron, you don't want them to come into your space, uh, but what it does force is it forces innovation and it forces them to really think about their model and where they can win where Amazon can't. And it also creates choice, and it's good for the consumer because from a pricing perspective or choice perspective or quality perspective, uh, those things have to go in the favor of the consumer a lot of times when the competition increases. So you know, I think it remains to be seen what will happen. Uh, I think that Blue Apron can is better positioned right now to, and if they can continue innovating, then they should be less concerned. But I, any time Amazon gets involved anywhere, it's really scary. Yeah, no, that's a, a good answer. I, I, I think um, there was something in one of these articles saying how that that they could they could combat the threat of of by becoming more of like a niche. Uh, niche focused and figuring, you know, figuring out what that, that their specialty, or also they could partner with someone. Um, says like like a, like a Walmart or right. something. That's, so that's that's pretty interesting too to think about it that way. So do people band together and kind of try to create this army that fights Amazon? And that is a very real possibility as well. So yeah. it kind of it kind of creates these market conditions that and partnerships that maybe wouldn't have happened without that happening. So it, it's not always a bad thing. I think that in this case, depending on how certain things play out, it could actually turn out to be exactly what should have happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll see. Stay tuned. Yeah. Stay tuned. More of this on industry news. I'm sure there'll be something, something that comes out in this year, a couple of months. But um, the other article I had was, uh, there's a new, there's a new website. It's called 750. And the article was Welcome to 750 Daily by Erica Ducey. And Erica someone I've known for a while as an editor. She was at Fodor's. She was at Sever um, Architectural Digest. And she's now the editor-in-chief at this, at this new site, which is an online magazine about business and culture of 
the beverage alcohol industry. And I, I think it's great. I think they're they're going to be covering a lot of a lot of things that are happening in in the beverage industry beyond just drink recipes or pretty pictures of cocktails. Um, and I think the industry's changed a lot over the years. So um, I'm excited. I'm excited that this is now out there. Uh, are you familiar at all with 750? Because it's that's part of the the it's a it's it's part of it's a do you know 750 is a tech platform yeah and they're one now the, yeah one of the founders i'm friendly with oh, okay yeah yeah because i was just learning about it so um she has some great writers on it but um i don't know should be maybe. yeah i i like the fact that they're talking to folks and focusing on areas that aren't so often covered mm-hmm. and i like the fact that at least if you talk to people uh, more recently, so I was with uh, a friend who has a restaurant in the city, and uh, he was telling me about 750, and I had known about it. The way he was talking about it was really cool, though. It's kind of a de facto, everyone in the industry uses it. I was like, well, when did that start to happen? He was like, I don't know, actually. You just use it now. And what he said is it really helps them because they're swap- they change their wine list out pretty frequently, and so they're swapping out distributors. And before, it was a real pain to actually swap out your distributors to get registered with them. And so 750 really helps. And what you're talking about, I think, which I think is really interesting is the people that are actually doing the pouring or the people that are doing the ordering, uh, really helping them get more educated in a much more easier fashion and giving them access to kind of that shared knowledge is really cool. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with all that. And yeah, I think it's, it's great. It kind of, it, it reminds me a little of with food arts magazine, which Unfortunately, folded, but like food arts was this industry trade magazine that everyone, all chefs read in the industry. And, and this seems like this is like the beverage answer to that of, mm-hmm. of now what's, what's happening. So I'm excited to see what content is out there and um, good for them. Um, you know, it's good to, you know, go after or, or when you have a vision for something and like create it. I'm, I'm all for that. So. Absolutely. Okay. So we're going to take one more break and then come back. I'm going to do my solo dining experience and we'll have the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. This week, it's at the Original Crab Shanty. Here's the rundown. The location, 361 City Island Avenue, City Island, Bronx, New York. The concept, ample seafood selection plus Italian fare, a neighborhood go-to. Why did I go? Because visiting City Island was on my to-do list for quite some time, and I finally made it. My experience. 
So I arrived for lunch over the weekend. I was seated at a large booth inside. Uh, It was kind of dark and and cozy. I was... um, uh, I, I, I was... I was... I was in I was in a zone in my little booth, but um, my server was lovely and helped me order off the big big menu, very very big menu, um, and I had a good time. So what did I get? I had the snow crab legs lunch special. I had them broiled, and it came with choice of super salad. I went with the Manhattan chowder, and I had um, a side of steamed broccoli. It also had mass massive. Um, French loaf bread and butter came and with it, and uh, I had a seltzer. So my take. So I love crab meat, and it was just delicious. I got into it. I put on the bib. I was cracking snow crabs. Shells were flying everywhere. Um, it was, I mean, it was a fun solo dining experience. I really made a mess. Um, tons of wet naps. Uh, I, but but it was it was really fun. The ambiance, it's low-key, darkish with a nautical motif. Uh, It has these big booths in the back, has more natural light. It's perfect for seafood lovers, and it's a good deal. Interesting tidbits. So the Crab Shanty has been serving the Bronx since 1977 in its space that was originally a post office on City Island. And City Island is this small island that's approximately 1.5 miles long and a half mile wide. And it's about a half hour drive from Midtown Manhattan. There's also a film called City Island that came out in 2009 with Andy Garcia and Juliana Marglis that people can check out. And I think it made it put it on the map a little more. Okay, so personal fun fact. After I moseyed around City Island a bit, I then drove over to Orchard Beach, which I'd never been to, which is in the Bronx, and it was a very lively, festive beach. A lot of uh, people and boomboxes going on on a hot summer day. So the cost of my meal at the original Crab Shanty was $23, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, I would. And the website is originalcrabshanty.com. Have you been to the crab shanty? I have not. It sounds amazing. I was going to ask you, do you have a crab cracking technique? No. Just went after it? I just went up to, you know, I go for the whatever, the, the, the big part of the leg and just mm-hmm. crack it. But um, yeah, I, I think I, w- I was in it and it was messy and it was fun. It's, I don't know, it's fun to eat with your hands and all. Um, so anyways, I, I've been meaning to get out to City Island forever. So I was just like happy to be there. That's really cool. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Well, I, I recommend it for people. It was cool. So it's time for the final question. So my next guest is Evan Sung. He is a prominent food, lifestyle, and travel photographer. He's he's amazing photographer. He shoots for the New York Times and many other publications. So, uh, Joel, what would you like to ask Evan? So... I'm going to give a little context here, and I was excited that he was the person that we could ask this question to. So I interviewed someone a couple weeks ago who was an anthropology major, and she told me that uh, she did her thesis on Ethiopian immigrants into Israel and how food was transforming and evolving for them, for their their community. Uh, And essentially, basically, they started very much insulated, isolated, And as the kids grew older and had to enter the military, uh, you saw the food actually change to have more uh, Israeli influences, which I thought was super, super cool. And so for him, uh, I was thinking about, you know, that same concept where food and culture are so interconnected. Food's a representation of culture. 
culture is a representation of food. So out of all the places that he's been, where do you find food and culture is most intertwined, i.e. most reflective of each other? And where do you think it's the most disconnected, i.e. you wouldn't think this culture has this type of food? Wow, that's awesome. I can't wait to ask. Yeah, I want to hear what he says. I can't wait to tune in and listen here. Because he travels around the world and takes photos everywhere. So he's, yeah, he's got to, you know, be, will be, People have to tune in and see what Evan has to yeah, say. Yeah, that's right. So um, that is the show. Thank you so much for joining me. And congratulations on, on all of your success. I think it's it's really impressive what you're doing, and I'm glad you figured it out. Trying every day. Thank you, Sharon. <laughs> and thanks for having us on the show. It's awesome that you're spreading the word and helping everyone in the industry uh, learn more about what other folks are doing. Oh, so thank, thank you. you so much. Well, I appreciate it. So my guest today has been Joel Montagnol, the CEO and co-founder of Seven Rooms. They're your front of the house and client relationship management platform for the hospitality, dining, and nightlife industry. You can find them at sevenrooms.com, on Twitter at Seven Rooms, on Instagram at Seven Rooms, number seven, and at Joel Montagnol. Um, And their website, it's all spelled out so people know, like the letters, seven rooms. (laughs) And you can find me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes and Stitcher. Thanks again to my guest today, Joel, and to my show's engineer, Vitor. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next Wednesday at 4 o'clock with another live show. And thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.